Let's begin. Okay. <laughs> Hi, Marsha. Hello. <laughs> it's so nice to be in our special podcasting studio. <laughs> Stop Academy covering your eyes. Yes. Today, Marsha and I are podcasting from Khan Academy World Headquarters in Mountain View, California. In the same room. We are physically in the same space together, <laughs> which we're used to because we work in the same space together all the time. Yes, but right now we're very confrontational. I don't feel confrontational. We're like staring directly at each other. You don't have to look at me. What are we Look angle? away. Look away. Okay, let's go like this. You're having a real hard time with this. This is really hard. And here I was the one. <laughs> I felt so bad after that first podcast saying that this would be hard. And you, it turns out, you're the one who can't handle it. It's not your face. That's you good. Said it was you're not my laughing face. at my face. No, I'm not laughing at your face. It's just too much, too much intensity. <laughs> There's a lot of intensity. Well, that's why I turned the lights down. <laughs> not all the way down. Turn the lights They're down just low. They're midway down. They're incandescent. Mm-hmm. How about maybe instead of crossing our arms, maybe we should just put our arms... <laughs> like in a seance. Yes. Well, I'm thinking more like open, accepting. Power poses. Power pose. Power poses. Is that a real thing, a power pose? Yeah, like, there is. Is this like a thing on the internet that we can link to so people know what the hell we're talking about? There was a TED Talk by a woman who described these poses. I don't know if it's called power poses or not. Yeah. And so the idea is like things you do with your arms to make yourself feel more powerful? <laughs> not only your arms. It's, it's the fact that emotions and your physical state um, can affect one another in both directions. Mm -hmm. So if you smile, you actually feel happier. And when you're happy, you smile. It's the same idea. So if you open your body in with arms out and legs wide and stuff, maybe not legs wide, maybe legs down. Whatever. <laughs> then you will feel more powerful yeah. than if you were closed. Hmm. I think that, I mean, that, that makes intuitive sense. Mm-hmm. I guess that's why, you know, yoga and stuff is so much about like putting your body in these different postures. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Close one chakra, open another. <laughs> Yes. So. Happy three-year anniversary. Why, thank you. <laughs> it has been three years since I joined Khan Academy. Three years that have it? gone by very quickly, it seems. It's pretty interesting to have, to see what, you know, as, as we talked about before, to see what, what, is, what has changed and what has not. Mm -hmm. Um. Like our homepage isn't a list of all the videos. That's definitely, that's a big change. It's a big, mm -hmm. big Khan Academy change right there. Um, that's the other, it's kind of funny to think back that a year ago I made a new homepage as a hackathon project. <laughs> and like that is what led to the homepage that's iterations right. because we were very afraid of change. changing the homepage. That's so because and now we're things changing were happening. it so much. <laughs> That's right. Because things were happening. Things were happening. You know, people, more and more people kept using the thing. Mm -hmm. Everybody's afraid that we would make the change, some change, and it would just, everybody would stop coming to Khan Academy. And they haven't yet. Not yet. I'm working on it. Mm -hmm. <sighs> so three so, years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a, 
I, I, I want to say it hasn't been it hasn't been a wild ride. That's one of the best things about working at Khan Academy is it hasn't been all crazy times, the ups and downs that everybody talks about. It's more been like kind of a steady up. A gradual swelling. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like when you, you know, bump your head. <laughs> no, slow, no, not painful. <laughs> I'm oh, thinking of like a big inhale yeah. just without the exhale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it has kind of felt like that. More people working on the project, more people, students using it, more teachers using it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I look back on my three years quite fondly. I, and here's to another three more. At least. But no more than that. I'll toast that with water. Okay. <laughs> chug, 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 chug. Ah. Oh, no. <laughs> Splash. <laughs> <laughs> So, what brings us here today? Lessons learned over the three years. Mm, lessons learned over the three years. Well, I'd say lesson number one I learned before I even joined Khan Academy, which is mm. I had a conversation with a, a friend, a mentor, uh, as I was thinking about leaving my old company, and he basically told me that in life there are only there are very few opportunities that you can see have the real have real potential to like change the world. Like you don't really actually run into that many opportunities. You frequently there are like things you can do to change your own life. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was very adamant when I told him about what was, what was happening at Khan Academy that don't. This is the kind of thing that not doing you wind up regretting. Uh, mm-hmm. Because even if Khan Academy wasn't successful, you, you'd always question like, well, maybe if I had been there, I could have helped and made a difference. Uh, so the lesson lesson number one was just like, was just a lesson in taking a leap of faith when a good opportunity presents itself to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I most of my career moves have been sort of like that. They've been sort of like leaps of faith where I've been going into exploring uncharted waters. And it's kind of worked out pretty yeah. pretty well for me like I'm pretty pretty happy with all that um, but I think there's a there's just a substantial amount of things to be afraid of uh, you know moving to a new place because I knew California is terrible it's so scary it's so warm yeah it's cold tonight yeah 50 it's in the degrees <laughs> <laughs> um, so lesson number two is that when you live in a warm climate your blood thins and you're no longer able to like, withstand <laughs> cold temperatures <laughs> That is the other other lesson I've learned in the last three years. You get soft. Yeah. Soft and smooshy. <laughs> like a big pillow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, What's lesson number three? Everything comes in threes. Yeah. So, three years. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So lesson number three over the last three years is uh, is that to do to do right by um, to do right by your your users. I think you have to be really really thoughtful about the changes that you ask them to put up with. So I feel like Khan Academy has made some major shifts in sort of what it is and how it works for people, at least at a surface level, at the underlying level, the thing that has never changed is sort of the, it has changed. The intention. Yeah. The intention and the, and the content, the content has been sort of this constant, right? Where it's like, it's always been made with sort of this humility and mm-hmm. like connectedness to people a, a sort of sense of humor that is unique um uh so that 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 central piece hasn't really changed but 
you know, there've been a lot of other types of changes. And I, I think one of the, one of the major lessons that I've learned over time is that managing, helping people, just humans, in this case, our students or teachers manage changes. It's a big part of the job, uh, of building, uh, of building a good product. So I, I think, you know, on the surface, it's sort of maybe obvious sounding, but I think in practice, it's much more difficult to actually execute on that. Hmm. hmm. I forgot what lesson number two was. It was about getting cold. Was it about getting cold? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought. But then I was like, was it, what was sandwiched between the first one and the third one? The first one was Just good. Sure. The second one was... It was okay, and third one was good again. So that was a that was a sandwich. Yeah. Okay. It's another sandwich. Okay, got it. Uh, so let's talk about the third one, <laughs> perhaps, <laughs> or the first one. No, third one. Let's do or it. Or we can talk about the weather. The weather is quite pleasant. Gray skies today. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote gloomy on your weather forecast. I did. Uh, yeah, no, I managing I, expectations for changes about the weather, not the weather, the oh, product. Yeah. Yes. I think when things change in products, when things aren't as you expect them to be, you like, just get mad, right? The downside is huge mm-hmm. and the upside, like, especially if it's not immediately obvious what the upside is, the upside is perceivably not that important, at least initially. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you're. It'd be like getting into your car, right? And you're like, okay, I'm going to turn on my car. And it's, mm-hmm. that went really well. Everything's normal. <laughs> I've logged in. Uh, and then the radio system has like completely mm-hmm. changed this interface. And you're just like, well, I just wanted to listen to the radio. Why do I have mm-hmm. to deal with some new way to listen to the radio? And it might be that you got some substantial upgrade, unlikely, uh, at least with cars. Uh, like you got XM. Or like some mm. sort of like new satellite radio, new yeah, new special new special thing that's going to make your radio listening experience much more enjoyable. But I feel like car companies are going more the direction of like it's now social, like tweet, oh yeah, like Facebook tweet, updates, yeah, tweet your tweet your radio station preferences, and it's just like the why no anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that you know for product changes, all for a lot of people, that's exactly how they feel. They're like. Well, I was doing perfectly fine in the old system, and now mm-hmm. I have to come in and learn something completely new. And so the the sandwich joke that we were making earlier is this <laughs> idea that you kind of need to, when you're going to make some change, you really need to be, be sure that you're delivering real and obvious value to people so that they have a reason why they should put up with that change. Um, and there are lots of specific strategies, I think, that you can employ to to do something like that. And we, we did some of them this this summer when we made the, the major change to the to learning dashboard. Um. Well, product changes seem to have two flavors in my mind. One is where uh, the, the, the core idea of it, of the product changes, and that's the one that can really frustrate people. So maybe when we change the homepage, which was originally a bunch of links to essentially static pages of content Um, and then we changed it to this current learning dashboard where it's very personal like all these ideas changed for them they didn't know what these new concepts were they didn't realize or they didn't they had to learn essentially that there was going to be a personalized experience there were going to be these tasks they had to do practice and level up and we can talk about the specifics of the learning dashboard another another time but uh, the other flavor of product changes is where 
um, you don't get mad because the the main idea stays the same, but like you discover enhancements that make your life easier. Mm. Um, and the example that, that came to mind when we were talking about this is Trello, because um, when we started using it, it was still in beta, right? Closed beta. And it felt like the idea kept staying the same, but like different things that we actually wanted, like randomly sprinkled in over time. Mm-hmm. So that's what I think. But they also didn't change the interface really ever. So I guess that's that's really what so, about. So product change as an interface changes. Well, I mean, any very... product change that necessitates an interface change is always like something that has, um, it just has a tremendous cost for people. Anytime you have yeah. to, people have to relearn something. But like their feature improvements, like I would characterize those as product changes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a good, I think it's a good distinction. I guess like the, the, the to me, the, the issue is like, if that feature improvement, if that enhancement required a UI change, like, then it would be confusing. Well, no, I think then it has it runs the risk of seeming not worth it. That, I the, see. the difference is, in, in my opinion, is in like the perceived cost of a of a change. So, the one way to lower the perceived cost of a change is to not have many people interact with the change. So, like in Trello's case, you mm-hmm. can make a feature, and if you like tuck it away in some setting of the <laughs> whatever somewhere, which is probably the right thing to do for ninety nine percent of people because they don't need the stickers or they don't need mm-hmm. the whatever the special thing is labels and filtering yeah um, or hide it behind a keyboard shortcut or something mm-hmm. like that for for most people that that's probably totally fine because all they really need to do is write on some cards and move them around I think uh, and and when that core idea remains stable when you're like okay there's a lot of value in this core idea mm-hmm. then i think there's a totally like reasonable way to do, to change things uh, but there's a question at that point like how many people are actually using that feature i don't know it might be the case that like most people right. are sort of expert and they're able to find their way around to those various things or you know trello does that thing where it makes the some of those features explicit like once you've opened a card you can see the like you can click a button that says mm-hmm. labels and things like that yeah. so my my impression of what you're saying is that is it still boils down to if it requires a UI change to like the thing that I do regularly, <laughs> mm-hmm. then I, there's a much higher chance that I'm going to be frustrated. If it's an enhancement that's sort of, you know, behind. Acceptable. Yeah, or that's sort of behind what, what like the primary interface that I use on a regular basis, mm-hmm. then I'm like, I'm happier. I'm a happier person because it's like not getting in my way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But I think the idea of, of of sort of enhancing a core, like enhancing the core of what a product does without interrupting, um, in a significant way, you know, the way the like the path that users or uh, take in order to make you know take advantage of your product uh, is is probably an ideal like it's the ideal mm-hmm. scenario to be in because you're like. The, the core of our product is so valuable we don't have to change really anything about it and people are still going to love it so kudos yeah. to the trello team for finding a product that matches that description seriously high five they did not sponsor us i'd like to tell you about our first sponsor <laughs> oh please i i actually uh i did ask around if there are anybody if anybody wanted to sponsor the podcast are you serious? My mom said she would toss in a little something. <laughs> How much would, would she sponsor us? I think it was more like, a, I'll send you some cookies. Or, oh. yeah. Okay. I'll ask my mom too. <laughs> We're so close to getting rich off this podcast. Just 
so close. <laughs> um, so lessons with the way we launched the learning dashboard? Well, I, I guess like part of, so I, I think that the most important thing in what you brought up is that, you know, there's a distinction between a change that requires a change to the interface that people mm-hmm. are used to, uh, a change to the product that requires a change to the interface that people are used to using versus uh, a change that doesn't. And I, I think the... Yeah. As, so we changed it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> as you alluded to, this whole, this whole idea of going from, you know, a sort of static library of content to a personalized experience. Like a tutor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, required a good amount of change. And change that we knew, we anticipated that people yeah. are going to be afraid of, mm-hmm. right? Because they're like, well, I don't need this. Yeah, I know what I want to study. Right. Um, and what, and so the, some of the strategies that we used, so first of all, I think just being aware that anytime you're making a change, you're making somebody like somebody's mm-hmm. afraid. Somebody's going to like see that change and be like, oh man, yeah. like I thought I knew what the world was like. And now you're telling me <laughs> I basically don't. Uh, so starting with that empathy, I think is really important. And then I think getting real about how like what kind of impact the change you're making is actually going to have on people's lives is also really important. So we were at the intersection of like massive change, mm-hmm. really important to people's lives, like live, like, uh, let's say not lives. That's a little too dramatic, really important <laughs> to people's sort of, uh, their comfort, ability to learn huh? comfort and familiarity uh, with, with using Khan Academy. I see. Um, so we're at the intersection of those things, uh, and so we actually chose, right, to stage. So the first thing we did was we chose to stage the release of mm-hmm. the the feature in such a way that it would allow us to get feedback without without interrupting everybody who is trying to use the software. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that requires, you know, that's a that's sort of a luxury in some ways. Like, not every organization has the infrastructure to be able to to do that. But it was super valuable in this case, because it allowed us to sort of get that initial round of feedback of like, oh, I'm, I'm afraid for these various reasons. Mm-hmm. And like, this is not clear to me for these various reasons and kind of take that into account before we foisted that experience on a bunch of people. So that mm-hmm. was like step, step number one was like an incremental, an incremental rollout. And the benefit of the, another benefit of that is the fact that you always get a new set of fresh eyes mm-hmm. every time you increase it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think step number two was just being conscious of, you know, actually taking the time to look at where are users entering the site and let's make sure not to take away a pathway to get to that thing. So, uh, you know, before the learning dashboard that we had this very popular space, which was the knowledge map. Mm-hmm. And we made sure to not take away access to the knowledge map when we released this thing, because we were like, well, we'll, we'll put up with the fact that not everybody is going to use this new experience. Mm-hmm. Like we're not going to force everybody into this new experience right away until we validated it some more. So knowing what the alternatives to the thing that you're like, the thing that you're actually building are, or what the users perceive, what your users perceive as alternatives is also really valuable because mm-hmm. then you can, you can kind of comfort them by saying, it's okay because this thing that you want, we didn't take it away. It's mm-hmm. still there. Um, what you sacrifice there is you probably sacrifice some, you know, experimentally and things like that. You, you do sacrifice a few things because you can't really see the total impact of the thing that you're doing if you're doing A-B tests and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It gets a little weird there. But, you know, in my opinion, it's it's totally worth uh, the bump in user comfort. Mm-hmm. Um to lose a little bit and in, in sort of figuring out exactly how impactful the thing is that you're making. Um, 
And then the third major thing is like you can educate people, right? You can help them learn what's going on. You can. You mean by blog posts and stuff? What well, do you mean by educate, or the, or do you mean the onboarding? I, all, that all we do? of those things. So yeah. I think the user education is just like it's really a. If you're gonna do it thoroughly, it's like a massive undertaking. Yeah. Uh, and I think we did a decent job, but not as thorough a job as I would have. I would have really liked given all things, all things being equal, I would have loved to be able to do more of it, but I think we did a relatively decent job, which also helped in the transition. And so it included blog posts and emails and in product onboarding, which I think was Mm -hmm. actually the most important because it kind of like introduced people to the new concepts in a way that at a moment when they were actually looking at the thing, there was a little pop-up next to it, describing what it was or showing what it was. Yep. And Mm -hmm. enticing them to like try some new Mm -hmm. things and kind of trying to explain the benefits of those new things. Um, And I I definitely don't think we, you know, we didn't hit it out of the park, but I think we did a good enough job that it kind of reduced a a significant amount of frustration that we've seen in the past when we didn't do uh, as good a job of uh, announcing those new features. Like we had this feature called power mode, which was, um, which was also an enhancement. We didn't take things away exactly, but we changed a UI that people are used to while we introduced this, this new capability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people were like pretty upset about it. Did we even do onboarding for power no, mode? No, we, we really... Or we never called it power mode to a user, did we? No, no. So like this is basically the, um, like the, the, the new newsfeed thing that, at Facebook. I don't know if you're, if you were a Facebook user back in it's like 2000, I want to say. I probably first logged on Facebook around 05 or 06. Yeah. So I want to say it was like an 07 or something like that okay. where they like introduced like the new news feed. Uh, so uh, because before the you had the wall. News. Oh, wait, when you first logged in, what did you see? Did you see your own profile? I can't remember. Anyway, I talked to so I talked to a, a, a person who was at, very early at the company, and they basically did the same thing we did with Power Mode, which was like they ran an A/B test. They saw that like users did a lot more stuff if they mm-hmm. like had the news feed or whatever, and they were like, "Great, flip the switch, news feed. Everybody's got news feed yeah. now." Uh, and people just like went completely. Was that the whole pri- like one of the that was one, one of many privacy fiascos? There? It wasn't even a privacy fiasco. It was just people were so pissed, like they oh. they were just like. I don't want to see this content from my other friends. Yeah, like, I don't. I don't know. If what I want it, I'll go to. I'll go to their profile and see it. Yeah, it, it was more like I. It, it was just it's the who moved my cheese reaction, mm-hmm. which is like I was used to things being one way, and now they're another way, and I don't really know why it's better. Yeah. Uh, and that reaction is like that is the death of a good of a good product launch. The when when people feel like things have changed, and I don't really know why they've changed. Yeah. Uh, and I don't see immediately why they are better. I, none of those things are clear to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you're biased against it for like all eternity. Well, even if it's not all eternity, even if we can like pull you back by actually proving that the thing is valuable over time or whatever, there's just skepticism that develops on the part of that person that mm-hmm. you'll have, like that you're actually on their side. I mean, it's, it comes back to the empathy question of like, you want people to feel like their concerns are heard and you and people in your, their concerns are validated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think assuming that you can somehow get away with not recognizing people's concerns when you're changing something that is important to them mm-hmm. um, is just asking for trouble. Um, and so at a, at a, for me, like that's, that's like the meta, that's like the meta lesson of my lesson. Number three is sort <laughs> of 
just this idea that people don't hate change. Uh, they hate change that they don't understand. Yeah. They hate change that doesn't immediately provide obvious value. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure that if it, you changed it so that people made a million dollars instead of, you know, $50,000 a year on average in the United States, like people probably like that change. Yeah. Uh, but you, even that, like people might be skeptical, like, you know, what, what strings come attached mm-hmm. to this change? Uh, yeah. like some people might be unwilling to accept it. Um, and so even, even change that is sort of universally, could you be universally perceived as positive, uh, bears the risk of if people don't understand what is happening that's what creates skeptics is what creates people thinking because you haven't taken into account that that person is like a that person is a whole person they have emotions and other things going on in their life and their job is not to think about like whatever it is that you're trying Mm -hmm. to change their job is to like keep doing whatever it is that they're trying to do but yeah i think you know ultimately i think it just makes a huge it makes a huge difference if you've taken into account the um the likelihood that people, well, the certainty that people are not going to understand what it is that you're trying to do by mm-hmm. default. They don't understand what what it is you're trying to do. In it. And like so many people, so many product people and startup folks that I talk to are like, yeah, like I'm making people's lives so much better. Mm-hmm. And it's really the case that you're usually only making a tiny fraction of people's lives better. And so like the more work that it takes in order to, for them to understand like exactly how that better is going to happen, mm-hmm. the harder it is for them to accept. And the more, the more negativity people can have towards those experiences because they're just like, well, I mean, I would really like to use your, you know, fancy new, you know, shopping thing, but, uh, coin, <laughs> <laughs> I would really like to use your fancy new shopping thing, but like, I got to pick my kids up from soccer practice and like, you know, then I'm, you know, uh, I have, you know, whatever, a book club after that. And oh. like, you know. A, uh, Reading Ender's Game. Yeah, a movie date <laughs> with my husband. And so like if some time in between all of those things, mm-hmm. I can figure out like yeah. when to watch your onboarding video or whatever <laughs> so I can know what your product is, like great. But if not, you know, I'm probably going to be, you know, it's going to be a while before I actually give a crap about what you're doing. Uh, and so even even in your target market, even if you have someone who's interested, so let's take that let's let's take the like busy person off the table. Let's take the interested party, like a motivated learner. Yeah, absolutely. You you take that person, and there's a huge difference in someone's patience and like willing to, willingness to. I mean, just think about it. I mean, just think about it for myself. That I have a huge there's a huge difference in my own perception of products where I feel like oh, I, I understand what's going on and I know mm-hmm. why I'm being asked to do what I'm being asked to do. And I feel powerful and in control of what is happening versus, you know, clearly someone wants me to do this and I think it's going to benefit me, mm-hmm. but I'm not totally sure how. Like my, my investment, the, the difference in my, you know, desire to invest time um, in those two situations is pretty, is kind of oceans apart. What is the number one product that you use on a regular basis that you don't enjoy hmm. or don't understand? Maybe they're related. Yeah, that's a great question. I can hmm. think of one. <laughs> okay, okay. You go first. Let me think. Let's, let's play a game. So it's the one you are using and you asked, how do I reply all? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Are we naming names on this show? <laughs> I don't know. 
Jobvite, if you're listening, <laughs> we've got some issues. End of transmission. <laughs> <laughs> you have one day. Uh, yeah. That one's really confusing, and yeah. we use it all the time. Yep. Yep. That's a that's a that's a good one. And I I don't know. Underneath that is how well does this thing match your mental model mm. of like the way something like this thing should work? And so Jobvite is just mismatched with our expectations because we expect that we would be able to reply all with one click but instead we not, we have to click yeah. a, a radio no a checkbox next to every person's name in that's the system on a list that is not alphabetically ordered <laughs> yeah no I, I i think that's a i think that's a, actually right now i think a case can be made in for certain things where it's like who whose mental model of the world does this actually <laughs> like seem similar to and not being able to uh i think some things are sort of not undefensibly bad right where it's just like well and those are fail i mean failed products exist they're everywhere right they're being built all the time like most of the things that are being built right now all over the place they're never going to be successful because i think in great part because of because of this problem and combined with the earlier thing that we were talking about of like not respecting their users. So mm-hmm. you can have a product that like matches your mental model of the world, but doesn't respect your time. So, uh, or doesn't respect like the other things that you have going on in your life. Really successful products have both things. They have, you know, I, I think a good amount of, a good amount of empathy for their users and a, and a very direct match between their perception of the world and, uh, and mm-hmm. how the product works. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I guess like part of it is, you know, not every product obviously fits into the world. And so part of the role, I mean, when we were talking about user education, like part of the role of a, of a company, if they want to be successful doing something that maybe hasn't been done before yeah. or maybe hasn't been done in a mass market way, like personalized education, for example, mm-hmm. sometimes you have to like bring your, bring your constituency, your, your students and teachers in our case, or, you know, generally like users uh, in other people's cases, like you have to bring them with you. You have to, build the value in their minds i mean if you look back at like 2007 and the release of the iphone the reviews Mm -hmm. of the iphone are all like this the stupidest (laughs) thing ever i want a physical keyboard and like it only does 2g like that's crazy 3g is the next wave of everything and every all of these people who are like it this doesn't match my mental model of the world yeah you know it should be this totally different way and it was sort of audacious, right? To say mm-hmm. like, actually, we're going to bring people with us here. We're going to make it so that we're going to com- create a compelling picture of why this is like a, a cool idea. Uh, and we're going to make a compelling product. So if you actually, if you can sync up with us, if you can see the world the way that we see it, we're going to make things good for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, whether whether Samsung had an all glass screen phone <laughs> first or apple did kind of doesn't matter because what happened after that was they essentially sort of crafted the market for these things by mm-hmm. explaining why they were valuable and why they were good um so did you have one of the first ones i did i still have it oh. it was so pleasing to hold it had a good weight to it mm-hmm. it felt substantial okay just wondering I uh I yeah I totally I totally bought into it from the beginning. I wanted a computer in my pocket. I always want that's what I always <laughs> wanted. I wanted like uh because at that point in time, you know, I uh young professional 
Young professional Nerd, Jason. Nerdy male. <laughs> I had all kinds of gadgets. I had MP3 players. Did you have a beeper? I didn't have a beeper at that oh. time. I did have a Blackberry shortly before that thing came out, though. Like an, a, one of the original, like, texty Blackberries. Oh. Like the not phone kind. Okay. I just blew your mind. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I ever thought of a Blackberry like that. Um, like a pre-smartphone Blackberry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not coming to mind right now basically it was like you could just send and receive email on it and it was a um it was not an lcd screen it, was, and it had no keyboard it was just no it had a keyboard oh so it was it was just an email device uh, never mind i'm gonna put it i'll link it to <laughs> okay. you later just Thank to, you. imagine if you will <laughs> uh but I i'm had imagining a, a brick right now <laughs> <laughs> is that the first blackberry yeah yeah that was a, so i had a brick in my in my ba- in my knapsack uh, <laughs> not in your pocket it didn't fit in my pocket okay. uh but anyway yeah so i had i had like all these all these devices i had a cell phone i had a mm-hmm. mb3 player which was an ipod at that point yeah. uh and all these things and i was like yes one like i can get email on it i can put my music on it one like device this, to rule them all and i was like this is perfect so they totally sold that that's that was what sold me it was like mm-hmm. this idea that you know, device convergence was sort of like this dream that I had had for the 10 years prior to the existence of the iPhone. Um, that's how they sold, that's how they sold me on it. Uh, and so despite its shortcomings in like all various different ways, uh, I was like, okay, this value is, is really there for me. And I think they did a good job of convincing other people of that, you know, truth Yeah. in air quotes. Uh, and so they created a market they created a market for this stuff. And at some point, like that stopped being necessary and people just saw the devices as cool and so it became a status symbol and so a lot of, and then as it became a status symbol, it became even cooler because like people were like, oh, I want to be like that other person who has this thing. And this sort of like creates it, there's like a snowballing effect. But they did actually have to build, like they had to build a real case for like why you would want a device like this. Uh, yeah. And I think uh, understanding that the, that was the case, understanding that to be the case that that they actually had to do that work you know they they did something that was really pretty impressive and i think you know other folks have done this in the past uh as well but it's an important part at least in my from my perspective it's an important part of this sort of important corollary to this lesson around um you know helping your users through change uh is that sometimes it's not going to be obvious. Sometimes you do have to, to teach and like doing that in a, in a way that's not pedantic and like actually respects people is really difficult. It's really difficult to get right. And, you know, I'm not tooting our own horn here. I don't think we have done all this stuff right. I'm just saying that it makes a difference. The ability to do that makes a, makes a tremendous difference. And over the last, especially the last year, I feel like I've developed a new respect for exactly how hard that is. And, um, but at the same time, exactly how valuable it is. Like what, I feel like I saw a glimpse of it this summer when we like did a, a better than we have ever done in the past job, but still with not the dashboard with launch? the dashboard launch mm-hmm. then. Uh, and now it feels like this yeah. thing that I want, right? I want to just keep making that better to the point that it, it sort of becomes this unassailable thing. Like when people use it, maybe they say like, this isn't for me, like this isn't the product for me, yeah. but they're like, oh, I get it. Like I get mm-hmm. what this is. And like, and this I, is why it's not the product for me. Right. I understand. Right. And so I, I feel I feel kind of titillated, <laughs> ex- excited, excited by the idea that, you know, that we're on a path, I think, mm-hmm. 
you know, to do that for Khan Academy. But the dashboard was, we said it when we, we launched, um, it was the biggest project we've ever worked on at Khan Academy or like that Khan Academy has ever had worked upon Yes. in terms of number of months and number of people working on it. Um, so how would we characterize the first year that we worked together or Khan Academy worked together uh, with this last year? Like, were we just all working on smaller projects? And so we didn't think with each launch that it was really worth like doing all the onboarding for because it was only like, you know, a few weeks of work with one person or like an hour's worth of work or something. Hmm. Like, why is it that we started thinking about this now? I think part of it is just having an established user base. I think there was a, a perception at that point in time that was just like, well, no one was watching, so <laughs> it didn't matter. I mean, seriously, it, yeah, there, there were so few. I mean, the first the first year, like you know, the first six months, like after you got hired, you know, we saw major growth, uh, but it was still like we were under a million like visitors yeah, a month. Uh, really. Oh yeah, we oh. we didn't we I think we hit like a million at the TED Talk, which was like a month or two after you got yeah. hired. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, when I first, I mean, three months before that, when I when I first mm-hmm. joined, I think we were at like three hundred thousand a month. A month? <laughs> no way. Yeah, that's almost Fresno. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, way. I guess that's why we didn't way. get way. <laughs> Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I just remember we would deploy many times a day, and we we're like, "Oh, it's okay. You just heard one else or one too. Like, yeah, we'll finish it. Who cares?" Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. That was definitely part of it. With and and you know, my apologies to the, to our faithful <laughs> 300, users. Three hundred thousand people during that time. From that time, like we probably pissed you off, but I think we were we were the other thing was that we were everything was so sort of nebulous, and we didn't really understand what it is that we were, clearly understand like the product that we were trying to build at that point in time, and so. I I think there was just less clarity around, you know, it felt like we were putting out fires, right? I guess that's mm. uh, that's that's my that's, that's a little bit about uh, of it's a bit of a cop out, but that it felt very different. It, it felt less like we were building we, like had certainty around the product we were building and more like we were just trying to like make stuff work because we had like the we had the initial school pilot mm-hmm. kind of going on with three classrooms or whatever. And like things were always breaking for them and yeah. they needed all this stuff that they didn't have. And we were kind of like very narrowly focused uh, on the things that we could sort of see. Mm-hmm. And as the product grew, both in usage and in sort of scope, like what it could do. And then as it coalesced into like a clearer picture of what we wanted the product to do, mm-hmm. uh, we started to care. I, I mean, I fully just speaking for myself, like I started to care more about those things. I started to think like, okay, what I really want is I want to take, you know, the people who are using Khan Academy now, I want to take them along in during this transition. How am I going yeah. to take the people who are using Khan Academy now? Because at that point, you know, at the beginning of the summer, we were talking like five to six million people a month. I mean, now we're at 10 million yeah. people a month. But, uh, but I, I was like, I don't want to, that's a lot of people. Like, I don't want to disenfranchise those people and, sure. and not give them a way to kind of come on this journey with us. And so I was very cognizant of, cognizant of it. And I think I also felt pretty burned by the... The uh, negative feedback. From when... the power mode release. Uh, oh, so it just yeah. made me it made me very sort of conscious of, 
like people's sensitivity to these things. And I, I guess doing it wrong once was, was like a helpful, just helped kind of recalibrate my barometer for like exactly how tolerant of change people were. And then recognizing the scope and scale of the change we were, yeah. we were making made me feel very self-conscious about not having a plan to actively help people make the transition. Yeah. But it's a balance too. Like we can't have half of the team working on onboarding really like like yeah. if we so i'm thinking of when uh facebook yeah, launched sorry. like we were talked to, we talked about timeline not on the podcast but in work uh timeline and what's the search thing graph search, yeah, graph search. they both had really good onboarding because they had like in product sort of announcements like so and so started using this thing and just showed up in your feed along with all the other mm. updates that you're used to yep um and we we mentioned that like the reason why they can do a lot of these things is because they have a million engineers and yeah. like we have 20 some people on the product team. And yep. so I think we're like, you know, on the spectrum of f putting out fires to being, you know, many teams all focused on onboarding, then we're like on the fire side, right? Yeah. Like I, we're still building a lot of the core things that we think we need as opposed to constantly teaching people, even though like it's important to teach people too. Yeah. And I, I think the, I, I don't know what Facebook's team size was when they were, when they yeah. hit 10 million uh, uniques a month. I mean, or 10 million registered users. Uh, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't guess that they were like drastically different size than we are now. That wouldn't surprise me. Um, mm. but I think from this point forward, they like grew pretty like crazy, yeah, pretty, pretty <laughs> rapidly. Um, so I, I think you're right. I think what you're saying is sort of objectively true because like you have other, I mean, like just crap that's broken, like you have bugs <laughs> and stuff, like things don't We don't load. have bugs here. What are you talking right? about? Right. I mean, so you have some percentage of people just working on that and then you have like performance problems or things that are mm -hmm. costing a lot of money because, you know, process runs out of control and you know, <laughs> runs away. Uh, you have all of that stuff going on, which every company, like every, every product has like yeah. those, those types of problems. So you have all, all of those problems. Uh, and then you're dealing with like a complex problem, like learning, uh, which is like a non, just non-trivial to like think about how to build a system that like actually facilitates that in a meaningful way. Uh, and you, all that stuff combined means, yeah, we definitely can't have people like a significant chunk of the team spending all their time, mm -hmm. uh, on, on onboarding. But I think so far i would say that user ed like efforts in user education have have really paid a very off. small fraction of the amount of time we put in and have and have paid big yeah, dividends yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah uh and so i i guess from my perspective there's a benefit maybe a benefit that um i, I would argue naively you know based on this experience that like far outweighs the cost mm -hmm. uh of spending some time doing that because i think the other thing that it does is it puts you in a headspace of uh of like what are my what are my users actual problems like if i need yeah. to tell someone how to like what this thing is and why they should use it i'm gonna need to do that in a language that makes sense to those people yeah uh and so i mean if you do it right i guess you could all you could just put it you could do it like a jargony thing it's like yes yeah, spaced nice. repetition yeah. learning algorithm <laughs> <laughs> and people will be like what no yeah <laughs> uh, yeah so i think if you're doing it right it, it gives you an opportunity to you know respectfully assume the sort of mental state of your target yeah. audience or your constituency or your users or however you like to think about them your customers uh to like to to live in their in their world for a minute and 
and that some like I feel like that also was reflected in some of the product decisions that we made. So the exercise of like doing user education, I think created a feedback loop of like, okay, well, this thing is too complicated. Like I'm trying to explain this thing. Because we can't even say in one sentence. <laughs> so this thing is too complicated to explain. Yeah. Ipso facto, <laughs> it is too complicated to be in the product as it exists at this moment. Right. Uh, and that's what caused us to like rename mastery things. Challenges. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like uh, to go through some iterations in the actual product itself. So I, I think, you know, you can think of it as like a separate activity, but and, like, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure how separate it is. I, I feel like, uh, you know, checking in with yourself and your, you know, your customer yeah. or whatever, as you're trying to release something and trying to make that, you know, trying to figure out how to make that product as exciting uh, and sort of understandable as possible. It's sort of a very, it's a very healthy sort of, hmm, I don't know. Woo woo! It's a what's up? You have, it's a, have a little what's up, what's up with, with us? us? Okay. Uh, where the us is, you know, you and the customer, mm-hmm. uh, just to make sure that like things are actually going okay. And so having that be part of the product development lifecycle, as well as yeah. sort of at the very beginning when you're like, okay, what what are users' problems and how are we going yeah. to solve them? Like integrating it in and saying, okay, we're going to like actually educate people about how this stuff is going to work or make an effort to do that. I think there's a lot of value there um, to having it become a continuous part of the process. Yeah. Are we done? I don't know. You tell me. Do you have any last remarks to say? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Well, good work. Good work.